0: This is Smart Politics, and I'm your host, Anthony Arnold. Smart Politics is a show trying to help you make sense of the news. The stakes in politics are real, and right now we're living in turbulent times. So it's more important than ever that we try to think clearly about the issues. For this episode, I'm going to tackle a topic I've been wanting to do for a while, the Supreme Court. Now the court is a huge topic. Covering it completely would take more than a few shows. So for this episode, I'm focusing on just one aspect of it and discussing the shadow docket. If you've been paying attention to the news and there's a chance you've heard something about this, but maybe you have questions. Hopefully I can help answer those questions by explaining what the shadow docket is, where it came from, and what its growing importance means for the courts. Because the Supreme Court's reliance on it has some serious consequences, and our entire constitutional order could be at stake. If you're ready, then let's begin. There's a popular image of how the Supreme Court works. In our heads and our media, it's portrayed as a grand deliberative body, the type of place where nine people invested with tremendous power come together and think deeply about an issue, their decisions with the ability to impact the lives of every person living in our nation are the results of careful consideration. In this conception, the court and the legal profession as a whole represent the ideal of reasoned decision-making that we should all strive for. And their public opinions allow the rest of us to not only understand why they came to a particular conclusion, but they also allow us to improve our own thinking on an issue. Supreme Court judges are, if nothing else, very bright. Their insights provide valuable guidance to citizens, decision makers, and most importantly, the lower courts. But while this may be the way that we have typically viewed the court, the shadow docket is something else entirely. To be clear, the shadow docket isn't a new phenomenon. Historically, the court has always made some decisions outside of the public purview. Typically, these were reserved for cases where the stakes were low, the public interest was minimal, and the consequences were confined. It was only on the rarest of occasions that cases of national importance would be decided this way. But over the last few years, that started to change. So much so that in 2015, University of Chicago law professor William Bode wrote a law review article in which he coined the term shadow docket to describe what he saw as a growing problem. Now, I won't lie, that article is only for people who are legal nerds. So unless you're excited by the prospect of 70 pages of legal nerdery, then let me give you the short version. In a growing number of decisions, the court's conclusions were shrouded in secrecy and were increasingly leaving outside observers with no clear way of knowing why the court was choosing cases or how they were coming up with their answers. And because shadow docket decisions don't feature the written decisions of individual judges, they were also denying the public the chance to monitor these nine powerful men and women for consistency. So if it's such a problem and it's only getting worse, then that raises two questions. How did we get here? can we go back in order to answer the first question we need to broaden our focus just a little the supreme court isn't the only court it's just the one that gets the most focus but one of the primary drivers of the rise in shadow docket decisions is coming from those lower courts and we're going to talk about two of those the fifth and ninth circuit courts there are 13 circuit courts 11 of which are numbered. Each of those covers a particular geographic area. The Fifth Circuit covers parts of the South, most notably Texas, and the Ninth Circuit covers much of the West, most notably California. And each of those circuits roughly reflects the partisan leanings of the areas in which they're based. As the partisanship in the country has grown, so too has the partisanship of the judges who make up those circuits. Remember, Judges are just people. They may be well-educated and have high-powered jobs, but they're susceptible to many of the same biases and partisan leanings as the rest of us. They're a reflection of the society in which they live. So as we drift further away from each other, the judges do as well. For these two respective courts, that means that we're seeing more decisions coming from each court that are political in nature. There's a reason Trump spent time complaining about how the Ninth Circuit was treating him unfairly, and there's a reason why the recent abortion decision originated from the Fifth Circuit. Here's how those courts contribute to the broader problem we're talking about. When they make a decision, what they're doing is impacting the lives of millions. No matter how partisan or incorrect those decisions may be, they'll go into effect unless the Supreme Court overrules them. Except the normal process at the Supreme Court can take many months. And during that time, millions of people could be living under the impact of potentially unconstitutional laws. So when this is the case, the court turns to the shadow docket. It shortens their decision-making time from months to mere days and allows them to immediately strike down laws they view as problematic. In many ways, the growth of the shadow docket is about the Supreme Court trying to both maintain their importance over the lower courts and also provide a check on the growing partisanship. Which is why I don't think we're going back. The country and the courts aren't getting less partisan. They may polarize slower than the nation, but they aren't immune. They don't exist in their own little bubble universes free from society. As the polarization process continues, it's reasonable to believe that the lower courts will continue down the path they're currently on. That means more controversial decisions like the abortion one. It means more laws of questionable legality, and it means a greater chance for our rights to be infringed upon. And because the Supreme Court won't ever allow lower courts to supersede them, That means they'll increasingly be asked to intervene. It's a spiral, or more troublingly, a possible death loop. So what does this mean for the courts? For the courts, it means there's a real danger of losing legitimacy. Our court system functions on faith. A judge cannot enforce his or her decision. Just because they say something is true doesn't actually make it so. They rely on us, the citizens, to respect their wisdom and authority. But if courts continue to engage in behavior that's not only openly partisan, but possibly unconstitutional, then that will eventually cause people to lose that faith. 20 years ago, the Supreme Court had an approval rating of 62% at a time when other branches of government couldn't dream of that number. It's been dropping ever since then, though, and it dipped down to 49% earlier this year. And that lack of approval is due to the fact that both parties are equally frustrated. If that number continues to drop, and our recent court developments wouldn't seem to make that less likely, then eventually we'll reach a point where Americans and their leaders will simply decide that the Supreme Court has no real power in their lives. At that point, we have abandoned our constitutional structure entirely. Maybe you think that sounds dramatic. Maybe you think I'm exaggerating. What I'd say is that our system really is a careful network of checks and balances. And as long as every branch is performing their function, the system not only works, but it's self-renewing. It produces confidence among us, the citizens. In return, we continue to participate in the system, which allows future leaders to exercise their power as they see fit. Right now, though, the balance is dangerously off. We have two branches where public faith and confidence has been cratering for decades now. And the lack of energetic governance is a real problem. The lack of access these two a further lack of faith, which leads to the kind of cycle we're stuck in now. For a while, the courts more or less floated above the fray, and were seen as the last holdout against those forces that rocked the other branches. But now that's changing, and if the courts should succumb to those same forces, then we'll be stuck with three branches entirely devoid of public support. At that point, what sort of legitimate government do you even have left? In Federalist Number 78, Alexander Hamilton, tried to address concerns about the potential power of the court. And I'm going to read a passage from his writings right now. Whoever attentively considers the different departments of power must perceive that the judiciary, from the nature of its functions, will always be the least dangerous to the political rights of the Constitution. Now look at our course today. We plead with the courts to take sides, growing increasingly frustrated when they ruled against us. We rage against one another And these courts, with their awesome power, make decisions that impact the lives of so many people that we don't like. Whatever the courts are today, they're no longer the least dangerous branch. And that fact alone means that we're sowing the seeds of our own destruction. I'd now like to welcome my frequent guest and host of the podcast, We the Voters, Francine Dash. Thanks for joining me, Francine.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: This definitely wasn't the most most upbeat of (laughs) topics, Uh, a little bit of a downer, maybe more so than normal. I normally try to be a bit more hopeful, but I've expressed to you before I'm legitimately scared uh, when it comes to the courts, Mm -hmm. because I do think. They're so far outside of how they were designed. Um, the potential for the abuse by the courts was always so very real, and we were really careful to design a system that we hoped could constrain that. And and they've escaped. I mean, Hamilton was wrong. I mean, flatly. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we we want to respect our framers, but right. he was wrong about this. The courts are not the least dangerous branch. This was mm-hmm. a mistake. Partisanship infected the courts, and here we are. So. what's your take on this, anything that was said today?
1: I don't quite understand where we're going to go from here, based on the way that the courts were structured and the balance that they're supposed to bring to the other branches. How can they bring balance if they're following suit? So my question is to you is kind of like, what can be done to separate the courts? from because the judges are appointed by elected officials who are partisan right
0: Right. this is where i this is where i think my pessimism really uh to be honest it shines through to answer your question right Mm -hmm. i don't think there's anything that we be done to stop this court process i I don't think it's possible um the courts are deliberately they exist outside of our will deliberately i mean that's a design choice it's not a flaw that's a design choice they are supposed to exist outside of our will we are not supposed to be able to directly influence their actions hence the lifetime appointments hence the fact that they are appointed and not elected and even if they do a terrible terrible job uh, you can't get rid of them i mean
1: but but don't we vote for some but don't we vote for some judges
0: we do we vote for some um Mm -hmm. but (laughs) unlike most issues on a ballot. Uh, court positions. You know, I try to stay educated on these. Right when when ballots come up, I go to ballot TV, I look at the issues, I contact campaigns, I do all this. When it comes to judges, trying to find information about what they might decide on is it, it's it's a needle in a haystack. It's a it's a corn maze. You know, we're here in Indiana, it's a, it's it's the world's largest corn maze. Trying to find the treasure at the end of it, right? Right. You can be sent to well. Here's their decision, and you know, eight different things. I can't even one. I probably can't access it. It's probably behind a paywall. First and foremost, if it's not behind a paywall, you know, it's a law review article that I can't understand because it's thirty pages long and I don't know how to dissect. You speak that uh, language. Jurisprudence, right, I can't right, exactly. I have no idea. <laughs> so, I normal citizens are almost. It's almost impossible for anyone outside the legal field to really understand what a judge might do over 30 or 40 or 50 years. There's almost no way of knowing.
1: But I also don't see it as totally bleak. What I see is this is gonna call voters to start to pay attention to the judges who are seated and start to pay attention in those spaces where they do have an opportunity to cast their vote. And where judges are appointed, I think they're gonna pay more attention to who they elect so that that influence will carry over to court appointments, I think that what we're seeing now, and I think a lot of uh, Republicans, they played the long game when it came to abortion. This plan for the uh, uh, the the changes that are taking place in Texas, and there's another state that's doing the same thing now. I I I forget yeah. which state it is. Um, but this was the long game. They thought about having someone in, ignoring every other flaw, but if they will come in and appoint judges who will do what we want them to do on this issue, then that's what the goal is. And that's what voters, I think, across the board are going to start paying attention to. is That particular strategy, paying attention to the long game, so that they can elect people who will seat judges that fall in line with their particular political views. Because like yeah. you said, I think you're right. I don't think that judges are exempt from the influence of partisanship. Right. In fact, that's quite the opposite. They have quite a bit of pressures. There, To their credit, I do see a lot of pushback from judges trying to yep. keep themselves from the fray, trying not to get involved, but there's some who jump right in, and we're comfortable in that space. Right. Um, so, in order for us to maintain that branch, we're going to have to do it from the from the outside. We can't trust that it will be done solely from the inside. We're going to have to show up, eff- shore up efforts on the voter side as well. And I think that's the change that I mostly see. You're not just voting for uh, your senator. Or your president, or your congressperson, or what have you, or or your governor, or whatever you're voting for, people who are going to appoint people that are going to have an impact on your children's lives, and we say that, but it this makes it all so much more real. Right. I appreciate you bringing this topic forward. This is a no, really I, important
0: topic. I, I appreciate your insight. I know there's, uh, in the, in it, there's some, you know, I I, I don't think we're in agreement here. I will, I will sort of close my thoughts by saying while your suggestion is the one that would, but your suggestion would balance the courts because it would allow, but it would not be partisan the courts.
1: No, but the scene, now I'm in agreement with you there. I don't think that it's possible right. to be partisan, if you will, the courts. Right. I, and I, just, I don't
0: know what. We do. As long as they're a partisan institution, I think. But
1: listen, it's problem. on every level. The police chief right. is partisan. Right. The you know, right. the person giving you a ticket on the side of the road is, is partisan. Right. The person at the city county building is is partisan. I mean, everyone right. has their own political views. What we want to create is balance and opportunity in those views, right? So that they don't get so out of hand that we start to see this unwinding of progress that has been made. I mean, we're seeing the Voting Rights Act under attack. We're seeing yes. our women's rights under yes. attack. We're seeing uh, uh, education is even under attack. Right. Uh, uh, so it's, it's what we don't want is to have progress stymied yes. by the courts of all.
0: Places, and if, so. if balance is the objective, mm-hmm. uh, then I'll end on a slightly more hopeful note, somewhat more hopeful. Uh, it'll take decades, to be totally blunt. It I took totally conservatives agree. Decades. They've been I playing agree. the 60, 80s. It took them 35 to 40 years. They All have right. institutions. They have Federalist Society. They have strong college Republicans. They have been very slowly installing and grooming judges. You know, someone like uh, Neil Gorsuch is, what, in his 50s? Yes. They've been grooming yes. Neil Gorsuch for 30, 35 years now. Yeah, like, yeah. like that's what this is. They've been grooming people like that for thirty years now. It took them three to four decades to get the balance they want on the courts, and they and they failed a couple times. They they thought they had one with Kennedy. He wasn't who they thought. They thought they had one with Roberts, and he wasn't who they thought. Mm-hmm. So they had to keep like they had to go back and say, "Well, Roberts but, isn't but, one of those diehards." Now we gotta. Well, I mean. So it it
1: but Roberts, Justice Roberts and others, there are still some holdouts who have this romantic view yes. of the courts being yes. separate and independent of political pressures yep. and are making the best decisions for society based on the laws as they regard yes. and there are some who are strictly they are of this judicial religious belief that courts don't make laws. Yes. Okay, yes. but yes. there are others who interpret that differently. So it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic
0: plays Absolutely. out
1: moving forward. I mean, I am a, a court watcher. I'm a geek. Me, I'm the both. of the nerdery. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I'm watching. I'm watching like tennis. I'm watching the game, and oh. I'm going to see what's going to be going on over the next five to ten years. That's going to be a real uh, area of change over the next. 10 years, I should say. Uh, it'll yeah. be interesting to see what the courts have the stomach
0: for. Absolutely. And on that note, I'll let Francine have the last word. Thank you, as always, Francine. It is always very welcome. good to have you on and good thank to uh, back and forth with you to keep the tennis metaphor going. Good to back and forth, you know. A good exchange. Good rally.
1: Right? It was a good rally. Thank you.
0: Um, so thank you, everybody, for for listening. Uh, as always, check out our other shows. Francine, like I said, she's a host of we the voters, we have a recap, we have uh, good money. So, check out our other shows, uh, and thank you.